again, good morning. Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. It was at approximately 3.20 a.m., March 13th, many years ago, that 28-year-old Kitty Genovese returned home to her nice middle-class area of Queens, New York. She parked her car in a nearby lot, turned off the lights, and started the walk to her second-floor apartment some 35 yards away. She got as far as a street light when a man grabbed her, and she screamed. Lights went on in the 10th-floor apartment building nearby. She yelled out, Oh my! He stabbed me! Please help me. Windows opened, and a man's voice shouted out, Leave that girl alone! The attacker looked up and fled. Kitty struggled to get to her feet. Lights turned back off in the apartments. The attacker came back, stabbed her a second time, and she cried out once more, I'm dying! I'm dying! Again, the lights came on and windows opened in many of these nearby apartments. The assailant got into his car and drove away. Kitty now staggered to her feet. It's 3.35 in the morning. Unfortunately, the attacker returned yet again and found her in the doorway at the foot of the stairs, stabbing her for a third time, this time, unfortunately, with fatal consequences. It was 3.50 a.m. when the police received the very first phone call. They responded quickly. They were at the scene within two minutes, but unfortunately, Kitty Genovese was already dead. Now, it's a number of years ago, but she became a name that was symbolic in the public mind for a dark side of the nation. It stood, her name stood, for individuals, for Americans, unfortunately, who were too indifferent, too frightened, too alienated, or too self-absorbed to get involved with other individuals, other human beings in trouble. You see, detectives investigating her murder discovered that no fewer than 38 of her neighbors had witnessed at least one of her three attacks. But not one of those 38 had come to her aid, nor called the police. The only call made to the police came after she was already dead. Not quite the way to jump into the Word of God today, but you'll see the connection. So we do welcome you to the study in our series entitled, Stories Jesus Told. Now, that's not the most pleasant story for me to share, but as we began this process in this series last week, we said these stories that Jesus told, they're parables. And so these parables, these stories that Jesus told, they're earthly stories that contain a heavenly truth, or short stories that teach big ideas. So last week, it was Father's Day. We took a look at the prodigal son. And in that story that Jesus told, we looked at a father, which points us to and reminds us of a loving and caring heavenly father. 
Today I want to invite you to the Word of God to Luke chapter 10. We're going to check out another rather familiar text, another rather familiar story, another rather familiar parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, and before we get to the story, before we get to the parable Jesus told, we're going to see the setup. We're going to see what prompted the story. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, One day, an expert in religious law, some Bibles, versions, translations might talk about him being a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. How many of you like being stumped? How many of you like people who come up and they ask you questions, not, not a simple yes or no answer? You know, we, we like those. You can kind of grunt, uh-huh, mm, eh. kind of shake your head, mumble. But somebody who asks you one of those questions, and you know they're trying to trick you. Anybody got one of those in your, in your mind, one of those in your life? So here's this, this religious uh, uh, expert, this lawyer, and he's trying to stump or test Jesus. And his question is, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus replied to the question with a question. Verse 26 says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So he turns the tables, and the young man answered, verse 27, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, do this, and you will live. So this man, this expert in religious law, he's going back to the Old Testament, and he's saying, hey, this is what it says. You know, we're to love God and love others. And Jesus says, right on. Those are great things to do. But the young man who, you know, was wanting to stump Jesus or test Jesus in verse 29 says he wanted to justify his actions. You ever asked a question? You ever did something to try to justify what you were doing? Whether it was something that was wrong and he tried to justify it or something that wasn't the way somebody else wanted and he tried to justify it. Here's the man. He wanted to justify his actions, so he followed up with Jesus and asked, Who is my neighbor? It's an intriguing question. Here's an expert in the law. Some would refer to him as a lawyer, so he knows a lot. And he just said, hey, I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love others, and Jesus said, you're right. He just said, love your neighbor as yourself. But now the young man's saying, well, let me just follow up on that, Jesus. Who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, what he's really wanting to say is, Jesus, would you help me out, and would you just let me know the people that I should love and the people that I don't have to bother with? I mean, just tell me. Certainly there's a number of people I can just get rid of, right? So just tell me those people, and then let me know who should I focus on, who should I love. I mean, who's my neighbor? Certainly not everybody's my neighbor, so tell me who. In a sense, he's saying, well, I can love God. I don't see him, and I love him. 
But God, I really struggle with all the people that I see. Everybody take a look at me. Everybody take a look at me. Now, take a look across the sanctuary. If you're watching or listening online, just look at somebody near you. All right? I mean, I can love God who I don't see, but boy, these people in my row, across the sanctuary, at work, at home, well, whoever you're seeing, boy, it's those people I see that I really struggle with loving. So, so Jesus, just help me out. Tell me who I can get rid of. And then the rest of the people all know who to love. I mean, in a sense, he's kind of hinting at that. He, he's saying without saying it. He's this lawyer, this religious expert, okay? So Jesus answers then with a story, a parable in verse 30. And so last week, as we took a look at the prodigal son, we're looking at the love of the heavenly father. Today, as Jesus tells the story about the neighbor, in a sense, he's sharing all about compassion. So we're going to take a look at what true compassion is today. First of all, understand this. True compassion sees something. True compassion sees something. So verse 30, Jesus replies to the question and the follow-up question with the story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. So it's a familiar story. This is a, you know, the journey between these two towns, Jerusalem to Jericho, 17, 18 miles or so. Jerusalem is way above sea level. Jericho is below sea level, so it's a steep incline. And so you're going downward, Jerusalem to Jericho. But this particular road was called the Way of Blood. How many of you would love to travel the Way of Blood? I'm getting some fearful looks, right? It was called that because there were a lot of robbers and thieves and people who would do no good to those who were on this road. Now, if Jesus were to tell a story today and, or you and I were to tell a story, you could point to maybe uh, some really large cities where there's a lot of uh, just crime that's taking place. But he's talking about this. This was a well-known road. A lot of not-so-good things happened on this road. And he says, you know, there's a Jewish man who traveled and was attacked. He said they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. So not so good of a start to the story. But verse 31, he says, by chance, a priest came along. A priest, a spiritual leader, kind of like a pastor who would teach the scriptures, uh, do various things in the, uh, in the temple and offer sacrifices for sin. So this Religious leader shows up, but it says when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. Verse 32 says a temple assistant or a Levite walked over. A Levite temple worker, uh, maybe not quite on the leadership level of the priest, but they assisted at a number of different things within the temple. So maybe you're thinking about board members, you're thinking about uh, teachers, you're thinking about leaders in a church. And so here are some leaders who see, and it says, looked at him lying there, but also passed on the other side. 
So this story doesn't start out real great. There's somebody who's in great need and two different people who most people, when you're hearing the story and in Jesus' day, they're thinking, certainly the priest would help, he doesn't. Certainly the Levite would help and he doesn't. They see and they pass by on the other side. There's a, a lot of reasons why maybe somebody would choose not to help. And we take a look at maybe priests or Levites and, and some of the reasons for them in that day might be many of the reasons perhaps we don't help out in different ways today. One thought is, well, hey, this is a pretty dangerous road. If you're in a dangerous road and, you know, something happens, I mean, well, maybe you shouldn't have been on that road. But then again, the priest and the Levite were passing by that very same road. So maybe they didn't have room to talk or to think. How about fear? Would you be a little fearful? Maybe you're not traveling the field of blood, but you're driving in your vehicle and somebody is in need and it's, you know, dark at night and maybe the surroundings seem a little scary. Well, if he got beaten up, I wonder, are those people still around? Will the same thing happen to me? Fear is a big reason why maybe these individuals didn't. Maybe a big reason why sometimes we don't jump in to help today. Maybe they thought he was already dead. I mean, they saw him over there. He didn't look like he was moving too much. I mean, there's probably nothing I can do. Maybe he's already dead. I think I'll just pass on by. Here's a big one. Maybe they were really busy. Now, the scripture says, and, and Jesus' story says, that the man was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. It doesn't necessarily say the priest and Levite were going that same direction, but it says that they passed by. Now, more than likely in, in Jerusalem, that's where the, the temple would be. That's where the, the worshiping would be. That's where, no doubt, the priest and the Levite would have had some of their duties. So if they were coming the same direction, they might have been coming from their duties. But he didn't give us the direction. Maybe they were heading that way. But you ever been kind of busy? And then you stumble into a situation. And how many of you, you've had that, you know, sometimes it's a split second. Sometimes it's that, that wrestling conversation in your head. Do I help? Do I not? What do I do? I, I got to be here. I got to be there. I got to do this. Because you're busy. Maybe they were busy with their responsibilities. Here's another big thought from them and from us. The ever popular somebody else will do it. You ever said that? Oh, and sometimes it all rolled up into one. Well, I'm a little scared. Well, well, look at the time. I'm a little busy. Oh, I'm sure somebody else will help. Very likely in the story that this could be what the priest and Levi thought. Or maybe just simply, man, it's a lot of work. It's kind of messy. Uh, you know, I got my nice clothes, my, my, my priestly garments on. He looks kind of bloody. I, I'm not sure I want to go there. Maybe some of those ring true for you and I. Or maybe you've got a couple of others as to why maybe we don't jump in to help in other situations. So Jesus is sharing the story. Two people most would think would have jumped in and help didn't. Then the story takes a twist. As you know, verse 33, in Jesus' story, he says, Then a despised Samaritan came along. And shortening the rest of the verse, we'll just simply say this, He saw the man. Now, the Samaritan, 
We use the phrase being a good Samaritan, and that's tossed around a lot. I mean, there's ministries, you know, good Samaritan this and good Samaritan that, and everybody knows about being a good Samaritan. And we reference it as a good thing, right? If you're a good Samaritan, you're helping somebody out in need, which is what we're about to see this man does. So in our day, in our culture, when you're called a good Samaritan, you know, we're like, yeah, pat myself on the, let me pat myself with both hands. Let me throw my back out, patting myself on the back. Yes, good Samaritan are good things. Jesus' day in culture, Samaritans, particularly viewed by the Jews, they were not viewed highly at all. If anything, were viewed as enemies. They might have viewed in this story that the Samaritan would have showed up and finished the guy off because there was this incredible friction between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were thought of as religious half-breeds. They were Jews who had settled in the northern parts of Israel after some of the dispersion. They were conquered, they were deported, and then they began to marry non-Jews from the area. So they were not of that pure Jewish bloodline. They were religiously half-breeds. And so when someone talked about Samaritans, if you were a Jew mentioning Samaritans, you did not do so very kindly. Again, in our culture, good Samaritan, oh, you are a great person we got to go back to the context. Jesus is telling this story, this Jewish background, these Jewish listeners, and they're hearing about a Samaritan who came along, and their guard's up. They're thinking, what's the Samaritan going to do? Is he going to finish him off? Is he going to chase down the priest and the Levite and get them too? I mean, that's their view. It was not at all highly thought of. But the Samaritan was the one who truly saw the man. In Jesus' story, the Samaritan was the one who truly recognized the need. So the challenge for you and I is this. Do we see the needs of people around us? Or do we sometimes get a little bit of a blinded eye? Because we're busy or because we're fearful, or because of this, or because of that, or because I'm not sure I know that person, or I don't know how to help, or I this, or I that. And we've got all these thoughts that sometimes we just get so used to not stepping in or not helping, sometimes we've lost our ability to see. True compassion sees something. Now, from the Samaritan's aspect... From the Samaritan's viewpoint, when he sees a Jewish man beat up and left for dead, more than likely his thought is, get out of there. Someone sees me, they're going to think, I did it. Jews and Samaritans not getting along very well together. And yet, as we're about to see, not only did he see the man, but he continues going through this process. So the challenge for us is to... Maybe hopefully in our eyesight, in our mind's eye, see needs that are around us. Because you think about it, whether it's in your house or other things, something that's broken or something that's, that needs fixing or, you know, when it first happens, you're like, oh man, I got to get this fixed. And if you wait a little too long, you start to kind of deal with it. 
You start to kind of get used to it to where you kind of turned a blind eye to that one thing that was so big to you that needed fixing, and it's gone weeks or months or years. And when a guest comes in or when someone comes in your house and sees you, they're like, oh, what are you doing about this? You're like, oh, yeah. Sometimes that can happen to us with the needs of people around us. If we're not careful, we become blinded to the needs. Help us to see things. God, would you help us to see your vision, your perspective of needs that are around us? And so, first of all, this true compassion, if you and I have that, God, help us to develop that. True compassion sees something. But secondly, true compassion also feels something. So read the whole verse. Verse 33, the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion. He didn't just see him, oh, boy, he needs help, and then say the things that maybe the priest or the Levite did. I'm fearful. I'm scared. Someone else will. Maybe he's already dead. No, no, no. He saw something and he felt something. George Bernard Shaw wrote this and said, The worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. Indifference is the essence of inhumanity. Now, we might think, wow, hate is the opposite of love. And he's saying, listen, the worst thing is not to hate, but simply to be indifferent. Eh, who cares? That kind of a viewpoint. You see, chances are good. As I look out amongst you here in the sanctuary, and I'm looking out those who are watching or listening online, chances are you don't hate. Chances are really good that you don't hate hate. And chances are pretty good that we do see. The question is, do we also feel the need? Now, the the Greek word that's used here for compassion, he felt compassion. It's It's a unique one. It's a vivid one. It's a descriptive one. And it comes from the word that refers to your intestines or bowels. How many of you are glad you came to church today to learn about that? Pastor Mark broke out. He didn't mention the Greek word, but he mentioned something about intestines and bowels. Kind of gross, I get. In a sense, it's a little bit of kind of where we get that term, you know, that that gut feeling. I feel it in my gut. There's that kind of compassion. It's it's to to my inner core. He felt compassion. It wasn't just this surface, ah, poor guy. And he felt it deep to his core. I mean, to his inner guts, bowels, and intestines. That's just kind of a fun word to use. I use that again. So the Samaritan man, he saw the exact same person laying on the road that the priest saw and the Levite saw. But apparently there was not that compassion. There was not that deep inner feeling in the gut. They crossed over to the other side. But Jesus' story said the Samaritan felt compassion. His his heart churned. His inner being churned within him. So much so he couldn't pass by. He couldn't walk away. There was compassion that he felt. 
it was impossible to keep going. Compassion stirs us. Compassion troubles us. Compassion keeps us awake at night. So the, the call and the prayer is, God, stir up a compassion, a greater compassion in me and in us for those around us. Because here's the thing. We see a lot of things, right? We see a lot of things. Now, you might not have a newspaper, but whether it's in a newspaper, on the television, on the Internet, social media, you don't have to go very far to see difficulty, to see hurt, to see pain, to see needs, people who need Jesus and people who need all kinds of other things. So chances are good. We've seen a whole lot of needs. The question is, what stirs us? What compassion you know, gets to our inner gut where we go more than just, oh, that's too bad, more than just that's terrible that we think about it, but a compassion that really stirs us from within. Whether it's local needs in our small communities, to our county, to our state, to our nation, to our world, you and I are aware of a lot of things, a lot of needs. We see it, but what is really stirring our hearts with compassion? Within the church, within the schools, within the workplace, within the homes and family lives that are represented, what do we not just see, but what stirs our heart, grabs us from the inside with compassion? Don't just see something, but feel something. That's what true compassion is, as Jesus tells the story. Thirdly, it's not just seeing something. It's not just feeling something, but true compassion does something. So verse 34, Jesus continues the story. The priest and the Levite passed on by, saw, but didn't feel, didn't do. Samaritan shows up, sees, feels, and does something. Verse 34, it says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. It's pretty powerful. And again, for the listeners of Jesus' day, their minds are, their minds are blown. First of all, that the priest and Levi didn't do anything. And thirdly, that the Samaritan is the one who did Certainly, they would venture to say, they would probably think it would be reversed, that the Samaritan would see it, cross over on the other side. I'm not getting involved with him. He's not like me. And the priest or the Levite would show up and they'd both help. Not so in Jesus' story. It's flipped around. We've got to be careful that we don't become so religious that we cease to be righteous and follow through on things God desires to do. I came across some of the uh, thoughts and writings from Dr. Martin Luther King. And in this particular passage, he had a couple of thoughts I thought were interesting. He said, when it comes to the priest and Levite, their thought was probably, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? He said the thought in the mind of the Good Samaritan was, if I do not stop and help this man, 
what will happen to him? It's a good question to ask. When something needs to be done, some of the thoughts is, well, man, what's going to happen to me if I do? Because we're always looking out for number one. Always thinking about self and taking care of self. And the question is, if we don't do something, if we don't jump in, if we don't help, if we, if we don't pitch in with compassion somehow, what will happen to them? So in this verse, Jesus mentions Six different action verbs or steps as he's talking about the Good Samaritan. First of all, he says, going over to him. He went to the man. Certainly, this man beaten up, he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. But what's he saying? The Good Samaritan made the first move. He took initiative. He jumped in and got involved. He didn't move away like these Religious leaders, the priest and the Levite, he moved toward the man. He took initiative. It's a challenge for us because sometimes we might see a need, we might feel the need, but then we're like, ah, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure if I want to. How do I help? The Good Samaritan went to him. He got closer. He moved toward the man who would probably have despised him if he were conscious. Imagine that. I mean, in your mind, you can come up with any kinds of two groups of individuals who seem to be polar opposites, and one's in need and the other one comes and steps in and helps out. He goes to him. This man probably would not have done the same thing if roles were reversed. Again, that's the, the thought behind this story as Jesus shares it. So, first of all, he went to him. He went to the man. Secondly, Jesus said he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He used some of his very own resources. He didn't, you know, he didn't uh, call up the ambulance. He didn't call up a Dollar General or Rite Aid or get a physician. Whatever he had, he used some of his own resources to start taking care of the man. He was doing something. Kind of like his first aid kit, if you would. Thankful that he had that. So he went to him, he soothed his wounds, and it says he bandaged them. I mean, he's taking some time here. He, you know, he, he's not just kind of pouring something on and saying, well, I hope that lasts. See ya. He pours on the oil and the wine, bandages him up. He's setting aside his own personal comfort, his own personal needs, whatever else was maybe on his agenda, and he's bandaging up the man. Next, it says that he put the man on his own donkey. The man who is beaten up and bloody that he's taken care of, he stuck him in his own vehicle. Maybe you've got rules, you know. No pets in the vehicle because of claws or hair or fur and no this and no that and no eating and no drinking and no... Imagine, here's the guy with his donkey, his transportation. He put the man on his donkey, which means the Good Samaritan's probably walking, to greater inconvenience. But this man is doing something. Challenges, the question is, do we only help when it's convenient? It's not looking very convenient for him. All that he's done, going to him, soothing his wounds, bandaging him, putting him on his donkey. And then it says he took him to an inn. I mean, it's only so much 
he could do. He's realizing that. Only so much he can do. And so now he brings him to somebody else in someplace else for more help. Maybe it's kind of like a, a, a hospital or bringing him to urgent care, bringing him to somebody who could continue the help. It wasn't just... Let me kind of take care of him and leave him for somebody else. He's going to finish this process. So he took him to an end where he then took care of him. He's personally sacrificing. He's taking care of him, as we'll see, until the very next day. Now, I know as we're thinking about compassion, we're thinking about people with needs around us, one of the big questions is, well, I can't help everyone everywhere. You're right. But can we help someone somewhere? As we're aware of needs, as, as we see something, God, is there compassion that rises up inside of us that we feel something to then put it into practice and do something. There's not a logical reason here for the Samaritan to do what he did. That's a part of why Jesus crafted the story that way. Ultimately, he's rearranging his plans to do something after feeling something and seeing something for the man. That's what compassion is doing. And Jesus is sharing this powerful story in response to the question. There's a final thing. As Jesus shares the story, it's not just about seeing something, not just about feeling something, not just about doing something. Understand this, true compassion costs something. After all he had done, he's, he's investing some of his time. He's investing some of his resources. I mean, he's using some of his favorite pieces of his first aid kit. He might have used his, his most favoritist Star Wars Band-Aids. I mean, not only is he using those resources, verse 35 says, The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you. I mean, that is pretty powerful. He's not just halfway taking care of him. He's not just doing a little something and saying, well, that's good enough. Someone else will finish it and complete it. He's wanting to see it through to completion. It's so much easier and it's so much cheaper to be indifferent than to have compassion. Because when there's compassion and we see something and feel something and want to step in and do something, many times there's a cost involved. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's time or something out of the ordinary in our schedule. Compassion costs the Samaritan man quite a bit. Many times it will cost us something to try to meet or take care of a need or some of the needs we see around us. But what's powerful is Jesus tells the story. The challenge is go the extra mile. Don't just do the minimum. Because sometimes that's the thought. Well, at least I'll do this. And then hopefully somebody else will do something. The, the challenge here. This Samaritan wanted to see it through. It's an incredible thought of going that extra mile. He didn't just say a prayer. 
Now, prayers are powerful, and I hope that we are praying for people. But that brings up the thought. How many times don't we say or text or email or social media post praying for you? Hopefully when we text it or say it or post it, we are. You ever been convicted of that? My hand's in the air. And so it began the process that, you know, and, and here's, here's for me what I, what I try to do is before I post, before I call, before I message, I pray. And then call. And then post. And then whatever and say, praying for you. Because here's the easiest thing. I mean, how long does it take to type praying for you. If, if you're texting or typing on social media, your phone has predictive text. You know, you type P-R-A, chances are praying's there, boom, you tap it. And it probably, once you type praying, it probably is going to say for, tap it, you, tap it. Yeah, I'll add an exclamation mark or a, an emoji, send. In just a handful of seconds, we say something or we text something or in, in, in person. And the challenge is, Hopefully, we've done what we've said. So for me personally, that, that's, that's been my heart. That's been my goal. If I'm calling, if I'm saying, if I'm posting, it's because I literally have just prayed. I don't want to text it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to call. And then in the middle of the conversation, in the middle of the text, realized, you know, I didn't actually do that. This good Samaritan... He went way beyond thoughts and prayers. He went way beyond praying hands emojis. I mean, he literally put his prayer in action. It wasn't just thoughts and prayers. It wasn't just a Band-Aid. It wasn't just, you know, a couple strips of something. He didn't just kind of bring them somewhere and drop them off. I mean, he, he was trying to do everything to take care and then above and beyond, he said, hey, here's, here's some financial resources. I've done what I can. You do what you can. And if what I've given you isn't enough, I'm going to take care of that. How incredibly surprised were Jesus' listeners about this time? The hated Samaritan, who with the Jews did not get along well. He's the one who responded. He saw, he felt, he did, and now it's costing him something, and he's doing it anyway understand the caution is this giving of our resources is not a substitute for some involvement because that's the other thing that that can happen is we're we're aware of different needs or different things and well hey if i can just give maybe i give a few bucks or give a little bit to this and and there's a lot of different things when needs come and it's red cross this or special things that are set up giving is important but let's not only give in a financial way, but back out of doing things that maybe we can help out personally. See, the Good Maritan, he gave and he got involved. He was doing both of these things. Now, John Wesley was asked about his philosophy of ministering to others. I like the quote. He says, do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Now, there's a, there, there's a lot of cans in there. 
He's basically saying when you see something, hopefully you feel something and can do something. Again, we probably can't help everyone everywhere, but we can help someone out somewhere. So Jesus finishes the story in verse 36 and 7, and he turns back to this young man, this expert in the law, this lawyer, and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus likes to ask questions. Because the man was asking, who's my neighbor? And what he was hoping for was, just tell me a handful of people that I need to worry about. I mean, I love God whom I don't see, but tell me a handful of people I really got to care about that I do see. Jesus didn't specify. He just asked the question, who would you say was the neighbor? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. What one was he talking about? The Samaritan. I mean, this Jewish leader, this religious expert, I mean, he is like he couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. They were so at odds. He simply said, you know, the one who showed him mercy, you know, it's your story. You know who it is. Jesus said, now go and do the same. He's left without excuses. What he really wanted was, give me excuses as to who I can exclude. And Jesus in his story is basically saying, everybody's fair game. When you see something and feel something, then do something. The man asked, who is my neighbor? But the question was kind of turned around on him. And the question then became, what kind of a neighbor am I? That's a good question for us to ask. You see, if you and I have a true relationship with Jesus, hopefully there's true compassion that develops on us and in us, and hopefully it will pour out on others. True compassion. Leading us to love and have compassion for others, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what the situation might be. So Jesus in his story, this parable, He says that true compassion sees something, feels something, does something, and costs something.